0: Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Paradigm 132 podcast. I'm your humble and gracious host, Rashad Horn. And as I said last week, I wanted to kind of take the systemic racism and kind of just build a podcast around that, just build it around that. Now, when we think about systemic racism, I don't look at systemic racism as something that you can make a charitable donation for right I don't feel like that's something that can particularly change because when you look at it the very nature the very fabric of this country has been geared so that you have nepotism um an easy example, when Donald Trump was uh, selected, <laughs> notice the word, not elected, but selected as president, his initial cabinet, the newspapers, the media, the articles all said, this is going to be the richest net worth wise cabinet in American history. So what did he do? He practiced nepotism. He brought in individuals who like him, who like himself, didn't necessarily have um, political experience, but what they did have was they had power, and they have influence. And Donald Trump, being a type of person that he is, he surrounded himself with individuals that. From the onset, like, he trusted individuals that thought um, like he thought, believed in some of the same values that he believed in, and he felt that, hey, it was going to be a perfect marriage. Obviously, it wasn't a perfect marriage. Obviously, we, we saw the um the fallback from that, uh, that particular stuff like this. And when we look at it from a systemic racism as- aspect, that's a systemic issue right there when you don't even have to um I mean just 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 the hiring of Ben Carson to be over hood right to be over hood. Ben Carson doesn't have any experience with that. Ben Carson is a neurosurgeon, one of the greatest minds, irregardless of race. In history. But just because he grew up in Detroit and experienced the what he grew up in, that doesn't mean that he knew about hood, but he was elected for hood. So from a symbolic standpoint, it's almost like, okay, we have to get a black person up here to be over hood because it's like, okay, the majority of black people, at least from a perspective, a perception standpoint. And as the saying goes, perception is reality. From a perspective standpoint, we want someone that relates to them from that particular aspect. And we even had the situation with Ben Carson. I believe it was Baltimore. He rolled down and seen um, individuals sitting on the porch and then went the next day, did an interview, talked about, hey, we got to get these people to work. We saw individuals sitting down on the porch and stuff like that and then caught backlash. And the individual like, did you get out and ask why they were sitting on the porch? You just assumed that they didn't have jobs. How do you know they weren't off, right? So you hired an individual based on his color to do a job that was supposed to be receptive of his... You No, you hired an individual... Because of his color, to head a department that essentially is deemed that benefits or is overly represented by people that are that are his color. Right. So <clears throat> when we think about it from this particular aspect, I did the previous podcast where I talked about Um, The NFL, you know, addition to the Rooney Rule, they, you know, they're going to incentivize teams to hire um, minorities again, right? Minorities, right? That's that word again. Hire minorities um, to be, you know, head coaches, general manager, have, you know, making personnel decisions, all those particular different things like that. And, again, you can't throw money at systemic racism. And the reason you can't is because you're throwing money nine times out of ten at individuals and entities and corporations that have more money than they'll ever know what to do with. So... What you have to do to change systemic racism. And most people, again, like I said, I see now a lot of individuals are saying, hey, I didn't, you know, I never understood the depths of what's going on with race in this country. I just kind of took things for what they were. So now we're having these hard and difficult discussions um, about race. And in my opinion, I don't for the most part I don't I don't take a lot of these individuals seriously when they say this I don't I don't take you serious because we've had multiple incidents recently that were essentially the same particular things and for this for us to get into the streets and do different um Do every level of protesting from the front lines to the back lines to anything in the middle, now it comes out to say, oh, I'm trying to look up, I'm trying to study, I'm trying to see what's going on, you know. And I feel, again, the majority is just lip service. It's lip service. Some of these individuals may truly not understand, you know, what's going on, but a vast majority of you do because systematically positions that you're in, you're in those positions due to the fact systemic racism allows for you to be in that particular position, right? So we got the group of blacks, right? And I touched on these individuals in the previous podcast, which I said that um, the particular brother that I mentioned, I agreed with a particular aspect of what he said on the surface. But you have the individuals that say, hey, this isn't the 40s, this isn't the 50s, this isn't the 60s, 30s, 20s, whatever. This isn't an era where the, the man, which it was dubbed in the 70s, the man isn't stopping you from doing anything. The man isn't stopping you from reading. The man isn't stopping you from working. The man isn't holding back your potential. right? You have stories of individuals that have broken through and have done amazing things. People, black people, right? So the man isn't stopping you from doing anything. And one of the things that <laughs> when I see anyone say that, the first thing I have to stop and I have to say, even if we go back to the plantation, we we always had a few blacks that deemed that were doing better than others. You had the house negroes. So that's equivalent to now saying, okay, just because um you had a few house Negroes, that the overall well being of the rest of the people was good. Right? No. So you had a few blacks in each of these particular eras that broke through the mold. Right? You have, you had those particular individuals. Now, nowadays, the only reason it seemingly seems to be more is because it's televised. And I read a book, it's called The Prince of Darkness, and I feel this is the case with a lot of blacks. Um, He was considered a black man, right? He was on Wall Street, he was a Wall Street trader. And the individual that authored the book stated that it wasn't a lot of stuff available about him. It was bits and pieces, right? It's bits and pieces about him. We don't really even know where he came from. All we really know is that he was a black man. So, the same way with um, Madam C.J. Walker, um, A.G. Gatston. It's a lot of brothers and sisters who don't necessarily have the amount of information available about them. For us to necessarily put them up there. When we talk about a place like Black Wall Street, when we talk about Rosewood, Florida, when we talk about Durham, North Carolina, when we talk about those particular areas where we had black um, individuals that was doing well for themselves and stuff like that, we don't know each and every one of those particular individuals, right? All we know is that these particular businesses is what they had, but we don't know every single thing about these individuals, Right. We don't know. So, again, when we fast forward to this particular time. Just because you're pointing to me. Individuals out. That doesn't mean that the overall well-being of the people has improved. That's systemic in itself, because you're giving or putting out examples of individuals and saying, hey, hey, it's not that bad. There's no systemic racism because if it was, this particular individual wouldn't be where they are. But that's stupid because we have individuals who would probably, with inflation, would be millionaires during the Reconstruction era. Right? We had individuals, black individuals that were doing great in the 60s. Black individuals. But the overall health of black America, it wasn't where it needed to be and which is why we had to fight for civil rights. A.G. Gaston. I read his book, or one of his books. I didn't read his first book. I read the book that was written by um, some of his descendants. And in one of the the chapters, it talked about, because A.G. Gaston was in Birmingham, and it talked about how he looked out of his window and he seen some of the heinous things that were being done in the streets of birmingham he said man i can't i can't sit in my office while this stuff is going on down you know outside i i, I, I just can't do it i can't do that right so this man was a millionaire right this man was a millionaire in an era where Bull Connor, George Wash, George Wallace reigned supreme in the state of Alabama. And if you were a black man or a woman, you were su- you were subject to being beaten, attacked by dogs, fire hoses, water being shot on you. You were subjected to that. But you have a black man. That was a millionaire. So don't give me all of this demand, is it holding you back and all this particular don't don't give me that. Right? Because what we have here is we have a situation of of, of finesse. We all know that from a systemic standpoint, black people aren't um or are less likely to be accepted for business loans. We know this. We know that we have multiple stories of banks um, having to pay large fines because they've charged black people more money for interest on homes. We know have evidence in which black people's homes aren't appraised for the same amount of money as white homes of the same square footage and everything of that particular nature. We know a lot of these particular different things. So don't tell me that you can throw money and fix systemic racism because it's kind of like the Flint crisis with the water. The individual said the fine was cheaper than actually going in and fixing the water system. Now, obviously, they came out and peddled it and said, hey, the city decided, we we, we gave them an alternative water source. They didn't want it, right? So they understood what they were getting with the water that they had. It doesn't matter if they chose the alternative. You should have fixed it. But the fine is cheaper than fixing it. So it's it's, it's, it's the same logic. It's cheaper to donate money than it is to actually go in and fix the problem. Right? It's cheaper to donate money than to solve a problem. And that's what allows for systemic racism to continue to go. So when we get back to the NFL, right, getting back to the Rooney Rule, all the Rooney rule says is you have to interview a minority candidate. Doesn't say you have to hire one, it just says you have to interview someone. Okay, that's easy. I'll interview somebody. You know, hey, I'll fly them in, you know. Hey take them out to dinner, sit there, listen to them, you know, talk about, hey, you know, if I was the GM or if I was the head coach, this is the offense we would run, this is the defense we would run. These are the type of athletes and stuff that, that you know, we will a target. That's cheaper than actually drawing up paperwork and hiring this individual to run the team. Way cheaper than doing it. It's cheaper. How much is a flight and a dinner How much is that? What? What? Let's say tops $500, depending on where you're going to. It's a lot cheaper than paying someone $5 million a year over three or four years. Way cheaper. Right? Way cheaper. So, the thing of it is, is that, again, this is, my thought process. I'm not the only one that shares this thought process. But my thought process about systemic racism. How, how do you how do you put in the systemic racism? <laughs> create your own systems. That's how. You, that's how you combat that. You create your own systems. Right. You cr- You You create your own systems. It's enough. Again, like I said, it's enough information. It's enough resources out here to to do that to create your own system. And that's how, that's how you that's how you start stop uh systematic racism. Because this this is this is this is my thought as well. I know these podcasts make it seem like I'm I'm coming off to be on one particular side, but I am on that one side. But I also like to look at things objectively. I don't want someone coming, knocking on my door, and saying, Rashad, it's a person living outside on the street. You must take this person into your house, clean them up, right? Clean them up, and, you know, they'll pay their part of the bills, but you have to give that person a place to live, right? And if by so chance, you know, maybe if you die or something like that, make sure that you leave something there for them. So I understand it from that particular aspect, from an NFL owner standpoint. I don't want you coming into my team where I'm spending my money and telling me who I have to hire. Same thing goes with these businesses. Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want you coming into his business telling, hey, look, Mark, you got to go hire 500 black people. Or Jeff Bezos, hey Jeff, you hey, you gotta get some black people on the board up here at Amazon. You 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 gotta do that, right? It's the right thing to do. Again, it's cheaper to just give the donation than to go out here and hire these individuals, put them in positions so that they can go back to their homes. Because one of the things that I've noticed about all these big Silicon Valley companies is that it's they they individuals, they'll get in there, they'll learn the system, and then they'll say, hey, okay, I want to break off and create my own thing. Right? I want to go create my own thing. So that's one of the things I remember I read an article about that. Nipsey Hussle talked about that um, on one of his interviews. I remember Nip was talking about that where again I'm paraphrasing where he talked about that in Silicon Valley it was such a low percentage of 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 black people working in these particular places. And so that was one of the initiatives of I believe that Vector 90, he and uh David Gross, that was one of the things that they were looking to do. They wanted to introduce um STEM and in like Silicon Valley type education to children so that they are better prepared to go work for these particular corporations because the 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 percentages were so low, right? But again, a lot of these individuals, they get hired from these companies, hired to these companies, they learn the game and, well, hey, I understand the weaknesses of this. So... Ten of us, we understand the weakness. So hey, let's go. Let's go create an app because we're already making Buku's mo- Buku money. So we might not have to get as much from an angel investor to invest into this. You know, invest and get this app. And this app, we could possibly sell the app for X amount of billions of dollars, or take this particular app public, and it allows for it to either be bought out by the company which we're trying to have the weakness for, or we can just run it and maybe build onto it later, right? So, again, those numbers aren't – I mean, obviously, you know, they can draw up um, information and say, hey, you know – We may feel that the uh, black candidates and things of that particular nature, they may not have all the requisite skills or the requisite background that we need to work in here. So that's why their numbers are so low and all of that particular stuff like that. And that's cool. Right. Cool. Cool. Right. Because I'm not one of those people that think that just an overwhelming number of black people can just fit into particular sectors. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to say that. I feel that we dominate in certain sectors, just like other people dominate in certain sectors. But I'm not going to say that the percentages in which we're represented in Silicon Valley are accurate, because I don't believe they're accurate. But I'm not going to basically say that black people should represent 85 to 90 percent of the workforce in Silicon Valley. I'm not saying that. Right. But what I am saying is that from a systemic standpoint, you can't make someone do something that they don't want to do. Right. So that's one of the things that we talk about from the civil rights aspect is that some of the civil rights leaders felt that if you change laws, that was going to change people's mind and change people's perception about certain things. And that's not true. Because at the end of the day, you're still depending upon that. I remember watching a lecture, um, a debate with Malcolm X, and uh, it was some Dr. Martin Luther King um, supporters there, and they were there debating them. And the Martin Luther King Jr. guy was telling Malcolm X that, hey, what we're trying to do is that we're trying to ensure that people get jobs in the South. That's one of our main initiatives, that our people are able to get jobs within these particular corporations. And Malcolm X being, you know, following true to the code and following true to What the Nation of Islam preached was that, look, we can have our own, you know, we can do our own thing. We can move to a particular area. And so the rebuttal by the brother was saying that, well, if we move to one area, it makes makes us an easier target. Because if you feel that these people are after us the way that you think they are, it's best that we stay spread out. So it's best that we fight for jobs in different particular areas. Now, the thing about that is that even though I'm more biased towards the nation and what Malcolm said, I can look at what that brother said as well from a standpoint that we probably do need to be spread out and not necessarily in one particular area. But if we're spread out, especially nowadays, we're spread out, but we're we're still so close to the point that we can do both. We can be in different areas, but we can also be working on our own things. All right? So <clears throat> that's how I feel that you that you you tort or stops you know systemic racism because you can't again, you can't make someone do something that they don't want to do. You can't I can't make some... Now, one of the things about it is that um, for anyone that has read the Bible and understood some of the stories, some of the individuals that were Jesus' disciples, their mindset changed. The way that they looked at things changed and things of that particular nature. My, My grandmother told me about Paul and some of the heinous things that he did and how he changed his life around. Right? So... Some people may feel that, hey, we got them on the ropes. They're going to change their mind. They're going to change their mind. But I feel that this particular period of time has been long enough. And if you truly believe the aspect that racism is taught, then you can't stop. You can't actually think that it's all of a sudden going to be stopped being taught. Right, because we're having open discussions now. Because one of because this because this is this is one of the things that stood out to me. Because uh, I listened to uh, Undisputed with Skip and Shannon, I listened to it for lack of a better terms, religiously. And Jenny Taft said that she knew nothing about having the feeling that a black man or woman has when the police pull them over. They don't all of a sudden have to, you know, tense up. They don't have to kind of put on a a different way that they're doing things. They don't have to, hey, look, I need to make sure I got all the stuff out. He's gonna ask for the license, restoration, go ahead and get all that particular stuff out because I could reach over somewhere to get something, and he might blow my brains out. Right, all all of those particular things are going through my mind, and she says she doesn't know anything about that. Right, so again, this systemic thing is not just something that money can 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 pay for. This has to be stuff that you're going to need treatment for, because you're going to have to completely rewire the mindset of people, because regardless of what the situation is. We take Amazon, for instance. They donated money, but one of the things, one of the Amazon's key business things that they do is that if they see a business that they like, same with Facebook, because I've, I've read about this stuff, they'll come to you and say, hey, we want to buy you. If you decline, Okay. Due to the fact that they have the Amazon and these places have this much money. But just speaking solely on Amazon, because Amazon has so much money, they can turn around, sell the same product that you're selling, at a loss, force you to go out of business, go buy it, go buy your business, cause you cause because you, you know, you're not making a profit, buy the business from you. And turn around and sell it right back at the same price that you were selling it. Right?